If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest edition, a holidays edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. And on today's episode, returning for his second appearance on this program, first since our very first year in uh, uh, in existence, I believe he was episode eight. That's right. It is NFL veteran Ben Utecht, who I would argue is the uh, the leader in the clubhouse for all time athlete Christmas album. <laughs> we are going to revisit his musical career, talk about holiday music, and maybe share some of our favorite holiday tunes. You will not want to miss it. I'm your host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me, making a- another person making a triumphant return to the Just Not Sports universe, it is Steve Warner, a uh, longtime friend, film professor at my alma mater. We're going to talk holiday movies later in the episode and a very specific conversation about him. I had to bring Steve back on the heels of his stirring <laughs> contributions during our rankings of the all-time uh, horror sequels around Halloween. Steve, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thanks for having me back. Was your phone just nonstop ringing with reactions from our enormous fan base after uh, uh, joining us uh, joining us on Halloween? It has been stressful here, let me tell you. <laughs> so, Steve, you, we know you from your podcast, Summer Blockbuster, where you explore the, uh, what should we call them, the uh, the the oddest entries into summer movies of all time. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And we're going to later talk about, I'm just going to say it, a conversation that has become, I think, abnormally heated in all the weirdest and wrong ways, which is <laughs> what constitutes a Christmas movie and what doesn't. Have you noticed how I feel like when this, you know, when the internet was kind of blowing up movie coverage and, and changing the tenor of it, it felt like it was very in vogue to do a listicle or whatever of what is or isn't a Christmas movie. And now I feel like people are very actively defiantly against that conversation. <laughs> like they're like, I refuse to debate if Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And it's like, who cares? <laughs> either way, either way, who cares? It all goes back to Die Hard. It all goes back to Die Hard. It really does, doesn't it? Don't you think that's the epicenter of the of of the debate itself? Is like where you fall on whether that is considered to be a Christmas movie or not? Oh yeah, very much so. And I would argue that over the years we've seen some, what would you call it, bad faith arguments made. I mean, Bill Simmons made like two hundred million dollars selling his podcast network to Spotify, and he did an entire episode about how Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. I think the most recent one I read was uh, Lars von Trier's Antichrist has a scene set at Christmas, thus it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> or I saw the the Halloweenies <laughs> podcast posted a screenshot from the 2009 Friday the 13th remake where the one character 
uh, is wearing a shirt that says "fuck Christmas" the whole time, and they're like, "It's a Christmas movie." Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's where we've gone with it at this point. Like it's yeah. just become a big joke. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I guess any movie that has any scene set around Christmas or even a t-shirt is now a Christmas movie. Or the I mean, irony is so thick on the way you describe it that it becomes impossible to see what's an actual argument and what's a parody of the argument. Exactly. I mean, I, I'd like to think these things are just over-exaggerations to prove a point of you people are being idiots. But at the same time, I have definitely heard people argue about the dumbest movies being Christmas <laughs> movies. Well, and so we're going to reclaim this, Steve. So in our distractions after the interview, we're going to we're going to break down the the types of movies that get debated on whether they fit into the holiday genre and maybe even try to identify the tipping point. That's my goal. Is to see if we can figure out what is the tipping point between holiday movie and non-holiday movie. I'm excited for this, Steve. There's no one else I would want to have this debate with as I feel like um, it will entertain only the two of us. (laughs) (laughs) All right, right now, we are going to talk to someone making their triumphant return to Just Not Sports. That's right, talking about Ben Utecht. Ben, if you recall, was among like our top 10 uh, first guests on the show. We had him on to talk about music way back in 2015 and wanted to relook him up this time of year around the holidays because Ben, as far as I'm concerned, is the reigning title holder for all-time best Christmas album created by an athlete. His, his record, Christmas Hope, came out in 2011. He released a follow-up Christmas video in 2015. He's always kind of dabbling in this space. And every year he does a a concert performance, uh, an Andy and Bing Christmas, where he actually takes on the role of Andy Williams and fellow singer Mick Sterling takes on the role of Bing Crosby. It's It's an annual tradition. This year they're doing it virtually, so anyone, regardless of where you are, can actually uh, uh, buy a ticket and watch between uh, December 26th and New Year's Eve. Uh, he gives you the information in the interview on how to how to log in and do that. Highly recommended. Uh, but we want to just have some fun, talk some Christmas music. So he and I relay our, our top five all-time Christmas songs. Uh, we talk about a new musical project he's doing called Reborn uh, that he's very excited about. And just the odds and ends of, of performing uh, overall. Plus, as you know, Ben's been someone who's been a really loud proponent of concussion awareness. And so we kind of close out with an update on his efforts there. So it was great to have Ben back on the podcast for the first time uh, in several years. Uh, go check out his music. Look him up online. I think he's uh, he's always doing interesting stuff. And then afterwards, stick around. Steve and I will be back to, again, discuss and debate where is that line between Christmas movie and not Christmas movie. Let me start with the upcoming concert you have. Um, Look, I grew up in a very musical household. I am someone who was, you know, every year on the clock, my mom was like, all right, sit down, we're putting on Holiday Inn. Sit down again, we're putting on a White Christmas um, so the standards to me are, are, are still, uh, you know, among my favorite. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, I know the Andy and, um, and, and Bing concert special, something you've done a couple times now, correct? Uh, I just wanted to know how you kind of landed on, uh, on that show and, and what you've got in store for this year. 
Well, can you believe that we've been doing it for six years? Actually, wow. we're going into our sixth, sixth season. I got a call uh, five years ago from uh, a Minnesota Music Hall of Famer, a guy named Mitch Sterling, uh, who made a huge name for himself in the kind of the jazz, blues, and rock scene uh, with a, a group called Mick Sterling and the Stud Brothers. He came out the same time Prince did uh, out of Minneapolis. And um, he called me alongside Kate Fierro, our co producer with this kind of huge crazy idea to to uh replicate the two greatest christmas albums of all time andy williams and bing crosby and so we put together a 16-piece band and orchestra and set out to pay homage to these classic crooners and and you know give people a chance to 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 see that show live again you know, and so it's just been a, it's just been an incredible experience. Do you kind of pick one role and stick with it, or how do you navigate kind of jumping from an Andy standard to a Bing standard? And and what what's the difference in terms of reinterpreting uh, those, knowing how much people they know all the different beats of all the different songs, and they're so used to the, those specific performances. Where's the line between <laughs> making it your own and, and and replicating maybe elements that that people know and love? Yeah, that's a great question because you you wanna you wanna do a good job of of giving people a special experience, something that they can relate to and remember. Um, you know, Mick and I chose to play uh, the two different roles. Uh, myself being more of a tenor uh, lent itself to the Andy Williams kind of a more pure, uh, higher register, and 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 uh, Mick. Um, being more of a, of a baritone, you know, kind of fell nicely into the Bing role. And, you know, for me, you know, I grew up uh, in, in a very musical family like yourself. I had classical training. I studied with an opera coach while I was playing for the Cincinnati Bengals. And so it wasn't a huge jump for me to, 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 to step into the shoes of Andy Williams uh, outside of the fact that he's just ridiculously talented and, <laughs> and, it's, and, and his, his longevity uh, was something that I really had to work at. But for Mick, being a blues rock guy, to all of a sudden go and, and try and sing <laughs> Bing Crosby, now that was a leap. And uh, it's something that he, he's been able to kind of make his own. But, you know, it's a great balance is the answer. You, 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 you add a little bit of who you are into um, trying to find moments where you're helping people uh, connect to what they remember. Yeah, I, let me ask you specifically about Happy Holidays, the you know the Andy Williams rendition, because to me that's the song where it sounds like he's having the most fun. He's doing kind of loop loopy ver- versions of the you know of the lines in various spots. And Santa Claus is coming round. The Christmas snow is It's got a lot more going on to it than than maybe uh, meets the ear on first glance. Well, it's the it's been the opening song for for going on six years now, um, and it's a it's a it's great because it, what makes these songs really special is the musicality, right? When when these guys were performing, uh, everything was live. There wasn't the recording uh, tools that we have today to to pitch correct and to edit. Uh, e- even even now, we can do all those live. And, and the, none of that existed. I mean, it was pure musicality. Every artist, every musician on that stage had to be 
uh, had to be so well rehearsed and practiced. Um, and, and that's really what makes that song special, you know, and it, it, it's also connected to his television show. He had, a on NBC for 11 years, he did the, uh, the Andy Williams, uh, Christmas television show. So he, he was also, you know, uh, an actor like Bing was. So they, they love to, uh, to be expressive and to, to really bring the audience into the experience of, of the song, not just go stand stationary and sing, but, mm-hmm. but really bring you uh, I- inside the, the artist circle, if you will. If we were doing a fantasy draft of, uh, you know, all time kind of Christmas uh, oeuvre, if you will, w- would Bing's go first or would Andy's go first, do you think? And why? Well, um, if we're talking pure, if we're talking pure numbers, Bing Crosby was the first singing voice to be heard on radio in the United States. Mm. And because of that, he had sold a billion units and I'm not making that up. I mean, the guy is, uh, is one of the most recognizable voices in, in, in the world. And so, especially because of white Christmas, which I think is the highest grossing single song ever. And so I, you know, I, I, if we're going by numbers, you got to go with Bing. Now I am a little biased because I sing Andy and, uh, you know, Andy outside of Christmas, he was the voice of five Academy award winning, uh, theme songs like the Godfather. Um, and so, you know, this, that's a, that's a really tough question, but, uh, I'm going to go with Andy cause I just think that, you know, he's got a little bit more pop sensibility, a little bit more current, um, a little bit more energy and, uh, I have fun with it. There's a great Simpsons line where Mr. Burns says he sold something for a song and then he pauses and he goes, luckily that song was white Christmas and I made, <laughs> I made significantly yeah. more money. Um, so th- this year it's different. You know, you're doing this virtually. First of all, I applaud you all for being responsible. Um, I know it's a very tricky time right now. And how can people, uh, you know, tune in? Man, what a what a tough year for for full time musicians. You know, um, every year we've done about anywhere from fifteen to nineteen concerts in December, and uh, this year we'll do zero. But it was also the year that we decided to go for creating the album. So we recorded the album. Uh, and had that mastered in November. And we did a deal with the CW Channel 23 in the state of Minnesota. So all of Minnesota on Christmas Day and uh, in the 26th at 4 p.m. will be able to watch the Andy and Bing Christmas show. Uh, and then we did a deal with Chan Hansen Dinner Theaters to stream the show, uh, which you can get anywhere. I mean, if, you know, if you're in the Chicago area, uh, Wisconsin, it doesn't matter. If you go to chanhassendt.com, you can actually um, purchase the show for streaming in your home. And so these are the types of things that we just had to accomplish in order to um, make something out of nothing. And so uh, an, an Andy and Bing Christmas.com is where you can go and find the, the, um, the full album of Andy Williams and Bing Crosby and, and some fun uh, ornaments and other, other merchandise on there. Yeah, you know, last time that you were on, we talked about uh, Christmas Hope, the 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 album that you had released, I believe, in 2011, right? Yep. So I'm look. Our show is the I, I would say unabashedly the experts in all things what athletes do away from sports. I how does it feel to still be the leader in the clubhouse? In my opinion, for all time best 
Christmas album released by an athlete, you know? And when when are we going to get the full-length follow-up? I know you'd, you you put out the video, I think, in 2015 last time we talked, but I, I'm, I keep waiting for the uh, the triumphant return to full-length yeah. CD, my friend. <laughs> I know. So you're telling me that I beat out Terry Bradshaw? Is that, did it really happen? Yes, you uh, miles beyond the Bradshaw. And, and I'm someone who has dug up uh, <laughs> some of that work. Well, um, that was a special album. You know, and it got, it got, uh, it was award nominated. It was a huge surprise. Um, you know, I think like anything else, Ben, I've, you know, you, you kind of get the eye roll when, when you tell people that you sing, especially when they know your, your past as an athlete. And so you've got to go out there and prove yourself, but because the bar is already set so low, <laughs> um, the fact that you can even hold a note is impressive. Um, but yeah, man, that, that was that was a really special. I I, I recorded that album, Christmas Hope, in in uh, in Nashville, uh, with some great artists, and um, have 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 since recorded some uh, a few others as well, uh, which are all on iTunes. And and uh, it's just been you know it's it's been fun to kind of be a surprise for people. But like anything else, you know, it's it's hard. I thought being a professional athlete was a tough industry to make it in <laughs> Enter- oh, yeah. entertainment is is without a doubt the most difficult uh industry to maneuver tell tell me a little bit about uh reborn because i was uh listening to some of your music uh you know it's 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 a trio uh and i'm i'm especially captivated that you all come from different countries when did you link up with them and and what's that been like compared to you know some of your solo work you know being back and and, and part of that that team environment man i you, you nailed it because uh, that was one thing I was really missing was being a part of a team. And I had a chance to tour with uh, kind of a, a nationally renowned uh, piano artist by the name of Jim Brickman. And the gentleman that was his lead singer the year before was uh, a Grammy-nominated Canadian tenor named Mark Masry, probably one of the best male singers I've ever heard. And Mark and I became friends, and, and we were talking about a, a concept idea uh, just over a year ago. And I just had this voice in my head saying, you're supposed to ask Mark about starting a, a group. And I said to myself, there's no way in hell I'm asking Mark Masry to start a group. I mean, this is like, <laughs> you know, this is a, another level of singer here. And, and uh, But I just said, hey, Mark, I feel like I'm supposed to ask you, do you want to start a group? And he, he just started laughing. And I said, what's so funny? And he said, Ben, if you knew how many times I've been asked that question in the last two months by, by singers, by music labels that wanted to build a group around me and i said no 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 and he's like i was actually praying to god last night and i said if you really want me to be in a group you have to let me know and you have to let me know soon and here you are the next day asking me to be in a group so the answer is yes isn't that crazy so then yeah. so that so then mark goes i think i know who i'm supposed to call who is andre venter from cape town south africa who is a multi-platinum selling baritone on the other side of the world um was in a huge group called romans international success singing with andrea bocelli and josh groban and and, uh and and believe it or not andre has moved his family to white bear lake minnesota this last year so we you know we had all this stuff set up for, for 2021 and uh lo and behold we've got a pandemic that that kind of um you know, put that to rest. So we're just going to keep, you know, we, we put out the new album. Uh, it's incredible, great singing, great music, 
Uh, and now we just kind of have to wait and see if, if the, the entertainment industry will come back into the marketplace. Yeah, and we, we hope it will. I mean, I know it's been, like you mentioned, it's been so difficult for so many performers across, uh, across the world, frankly. Um, let me ask you, I, I was watching a video of you all kind of singing The Lion Sleeps Tonight in a car. And man, you were hitting the falsetto. Uh, you, you were getting the business done. <laughs> Tell me, wh- where's the extent of your range? How how uh, uh, how uh, how much can you put? Can you can you push those vocal cords? Well, I've always been a fringe guy, so I I was always I was always a kid that wanted to sing higher, even though I couldn't, and <laughs> just kept working and working. I got into that that opera coaching when I was playing for the Bengals, and that really changed everything and and taught you how to use the vocal cords which are muscles just like you would as an athlete and, you know, was able to do training the right way. And, and, uh, you know, learning how to use your falsetto, uh, is, is a big part of that. So I've got a pretty lofty range when you combine the two and, uh, you know, and that was something we literally threw that together. Um, when we were on, we did a two week tour in South Africa and, uh, had, had, had literally just left, um, one of South Africa's biggest lions park where we walked with two male lions. It was the most, it was the scariest thing that I've ever done. Cause they basically yeah. tell you before you go in, Hey, there's nothing we can do if they come after you. And there's a, <laughs> like there's, we're going to feed them. We're going to keep feeding them, but um, you got to enter at your own risk. And so when we left, we were driving in the car and we just threw, we threw that song together, but great group of guys feels so good to be a part of a team again. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully it's something that, you know, can gain a little bit of momentum so we can have some fun entertaining people. Look, we're taping this a couple days before Christmas and I I thought it'd be fun to kind of maybe run down hear from you, your, your, your top five, uh, or so, uh, Christmas, uh, you know, yeah. Christmas staples. But uh, first, first things first. What makes a great Christmas song for you? Authenticity mm. and sincerity. I, I think that, um, especially now more than ever, I think you know, finding finding the the lyrics and the melodies that are going to reach into the human soul. You know that that's and 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 the only way you do that is is by writing honestly. And, and so, you know, a lot of times when you go into a writing session, you've got a theme that you want to start with or, and, and sometimes it can make it tricky because you might not, you might not always connect, you know, deeply or personally with, with those themes, you know, you're writing for a specific group of people, you know, a specific genre. Um, But yeah, my, my favorite Christmas songs are the ones that really have the combination of music and melody and, and lyrics that really can kind of tug on the the human condition. Right. No, that's a that's a great answer. I, I was going to say makes you smile in the car when you're super stressed out. Um, so well, you... <laughs> exactly. And the, only, and the only way the only way that you can break through, you know, that wall of anxiety is by is by all the things that we just talked about for sure. So I've got I've got the the song and the 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 person interpreting it, but you can bring to the table whatever you want. If if I said to you what's your what's your number five, what would you say? Number five would probably have to be, um, 
Yesu uh, Joy of Man's Desire by Josh Groban. Yeah, I knew Josh Groban would be be on this yeah. list on both our, our our fronts. Something about his voice is like programmed to find oh, the emotion within oh, each of these these holiday songs. Yeah, one hundred percent. He he has this tone that's so special that is so recognizable, and it, it's so warm, and it just makes you feel like you're sitting by a fireplace. And that's that's awesome. <laughs> My number five would be Sleigh Ride by the Ronettes. Because right. to, to that point, there's something about that sort of big, echoey wall of sound that feels very dated and, and, mm-hmm. and of a very specific time. But I also yep. think it's a contempt that, that, that kind of upbeat, jazzy swing makes it feel so contemporary at all times. I love that blend of nostalgia and contemporary because right. I think I do think it's rare in a in a genre that that features so much. <laughs> nostalgic yep. uh how about your number four uh number four would probably be andy williams the christmas song and, oh. and people, are, people are always like kind of for a moment kind of scratching their head but that's that's the chestnuts roasting on an open fire yep you know and and uh, you know that song is just so it, it's it's such an incredibly well written and pro, you know produced song um and i i feel like it's one of those that we just talked about where you feel like you've got like a, you know, a hot cup of cider or, or cocoa and you're just, you know, you're just sitting with everybody around the, you know, the fireplace Christmas Eve. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, first of all, our Nat King Cole fans are coming after you uh, for going with anybody else's version of it. But I, I think that that one specifically is, is, is right there with it. Um, and that's the tricky thing too, is like so many different performers bring something different out of these some of these staples and new ways that are um where where you don't feel bad have like your your list could have you know that particular song four times by four different people and i wouldn't blanch i'd be like yeah of course yeah, you know it sounds good <laughs> yeah 100 percent. i mean you know nat is i mean you can't you can't argue with kind of the nostalgic classic nature there a- andy williams does this thing where um uh, to see if reindeers really know how to fly, and then on fly, he he literally rides uh, the entire octave all the way up eight notes. He slides up eight notes and hits this huge soaring, uh, uh, this huge soaring note um, at the end, and it just kind of it's, it's just one of those moments, you know, that takes it to another level for me. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, all right, my four would be Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Maybe an, a, a kind of a, a goofier pick, but I mentioned Smile in the Car. You hear those first like beats, and I just have to crank that song up. And it's one of those yep. blends of genre in a way that um, makes Christmas to me feel just more inclusive to, to more folks oh, sure. and, and love it. Why don't you just roll, roll with your top? You can just give me your top three, and then I'll do mine, and, and, and I'll let you go. Okay. Yeah, so number three would be probably... Um, Little Drummer Boy by For King and Country, uh, right. which is which is a uh, just a huge crossover group um, out of Australia that does like uh, Christian inspirational, but they're also mainstream. Um, they're kind of like a Switchfoot, uh, like the new Switchfoot mm-hmm. version, uh, and and they do this high energy killer, uh, uh, you know, like Imagine Dragon style approach to uh, uh, Little Drummer Boy, which is pretty pretty incredible. Um, Number two, without a doubt, is Oh Holy Night. Uh, it's my favorite to sing. Um, 
there's so many versions. Celine Dion's is out of this world. Uh, Andrea Bocelli, Groban, they all, it's, it's hard to, to choose, but that'd be my number two. And then on an, on an original note, uh, Reborn uh, launched um, its first uh, single called uh, Long Road. And we, we shot this music video uh, in South Africa. And you can check it out on YouTube. Uh, it's called Long Road by Reborn. And the, the, this, the timing of this song couldn't have been more um, purposeful. It, 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 it's, it's about this long road that we're all on. And, and that um, if you have hope, uh, every long road uh, eventually comes to an end. And so it, I, I, I kind of put it into Christmas this year because of the timing of, of the launch and how personal it is. But it's for all of us because, you know, if it, let's be honest. We've all been on the longest road of our lives. <laughs> yes. We're, we're hanging on as parents, as educators, as first responders, as citizens. It's like, you know, uh, we're, we're, we feel like we're crawling at times. And, and there's hope. There's hope. Uh, and, and we all can come together, especially over the holidays, uh, with the hope that that even this long road is going to come to an end. Ah, I love it, man. Uh, my, my three, I'd go Happy Holidays, Andy Williams. We talked about it before. Oh, Holy Night, Josh Groban, although you're making me feel bad for not picking the Celine version. I forgot about that, but that's a that's a banger, too. Um, and then number one, I, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey is the song that like keeps giving. Like every year, it just, I, I find myself gravitating more and more to it as one of my favorites and it's also that rare modern staple that has become as big as the biggest you know (laughs) well listen i i almost said that because of the movie love actually and it's a great it's a great song um it's got a it's got an awesome uh uh rhythm section that kind of drives it and makes you feel happy you know and uh without a doubt i'm a little disappointed that i didn't get into any of your top five oh. you know i mean i would have thought you know with about, everything you're saying about the christmas hope album or maybe you know maybe my ave maria or you know maybe my oh holy night would have would have been up on on the list you're, but you have I, yourself I a merry little christmas with like the alternate oh, um, the alternate oh, end dear. would be my choice my friend yeah. Oh, yeah. So you saw the, you saw the music video. Yeah. I'm an expert. Don't. You, I, yeah. I, I've heard it all, my friend. Well, uh, you were you were five A. You were five A uh, right behind. <laughs> Look, I, you've given me so much time. I'd be remiss if I didn't close by just uh, saying we so much follow and appreciate the work you've done on the concussion awareness front. Um, okay. You know, obviously you've been doing that for for a number of years. I just wanted to ask you, like. How proud are you of the, the, the efforts you've made and what work is left to do? How should we all be staying diligent on this subject, which is of so much importance, not just to folks like yourself, but everyone who's raising kids and asking themselves tough questions about the role that concussions might play in sports? You know, what an interesting journey that has been because, you know, you have to confront something that's a bit of a, of a tension point. Uh, especially when you love the game of football. And so I've tried really hard to always have a, what I call a pro brain, pro game message. You know, I, I, I was never attacking the game that gave me so much, but at the same time fighting for, uh, what the most important part of who we are as human beings is, which is our brains. It's the only reason why we're having this conversation right now. And so, um, I think we've come an incredibly long way 
I think that uh, medical evidence is the leader for that in, and the reason for that, uh, especially, you know, with, with the NFL, because you, you can't argue, um, you know, medical evidence. And, and so the more uh, of that that we continue to have, the stronger support we will have for player health and safety. And, and at the same time, we have to celebrate the game of football that we, we love to watch. So there's, there's always a balance there. There's always a, the, a, a, a better way to approach the conversation. Um, we can never prevent concussions. They are a part of the game. We have to be willing to accept that. And then if we can accept that, we have to go out and find the best ways we can uh, to, you know, provide the safest environment that we can, especially for children, because children are not making decisions on their own. Their parents are. And, and so we have to create that culture that, that cares more about uh, a child's brain development than, you know, are they going to get a division one scholarship and right. so you 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 know but which is like you and you already know this it's a it's a it's a touchy subject so you, you have to approach it the right way and 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 find the balance in it all but i do think we're making huge strides and we're going to continue to see that well it's been great work and and we're, we're we're rooting for you and cheering you on with all of your musical ventures as well we'll tell everyone to go uh, go, go, uh, you know, buy the streaming, uh, and Annie and Bing Christmas and, and go check out reborn and, and keep following you. I know I will be and, uh, wishing you a happy holidays here, my friend. Thanks so much, man. Keep up the good work. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things that express their passions and personalities. And then we, the fans, Tell them, stop being a locker room distraction. Get back to watching game film. That is ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate distractions by telling you what's been distracting us. And and, and my guest co-host, Steve Warner, uh, we're, we're going to debate the time-honored debate of what is and isn't a Christmas movie and see if we can identify the epicenter uh, or the tipping point for that discussion. Now, off the jump, Steve, we talked about how this has become an inherently annoying debate over the years. It's dripping and steeped in irony and bad faith arguments and whatever else. Um, but I, I do want to start here, which is a, a category of movie that I think probably defines more of this debate than anything else, which is the genre movie that fits another genre <laughs> but has something to do with Christmas. And so you think about the other, you know, the other genre. Specifically, Die Hard is the best example of this. We talked about it off the top briefly, but let's let's just go right there. Okay. There's no list of action movies that wouldn't have Die Hard near the top of it in terms of like what it means to the genre, the impact it had on the genre. And therefore, even though Die Hard is without question has Christmas at the center of several elements of the story, it becomes a, a an ep, like a, a focal point for this argument because it, it is also so much the template for action movies, right? Yes. And I, I think what's interesting, though, about Die Hard specifically is that its Christmas setting isn't used merely as a backdrop, though. Right. It actually does play 
a pretty big role throughout. And I mean, some of it is used ironically. Like, you know, you have these, like, violent action scenes offset with, like, Christmas music or the Christmas decorations getting shredded by bullets and that sort of thing. Uh, but there are or literally movies... used to commit murders. Like, he uses wrapping tape <laughs> to kill Hans. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I mean. I think that's why Die Hard kind of is the epicenter, because Christmas plays such a large role in it. Whereas with other movies, it's just set at Christmas, but they don't really do anything with it whatsoever. Yeah, Die Hard is an interesting case. I think if you go back and you watch it looking for where does Christmas fit, it, it is so much more a, a traditional Christmas movie than you, than you think. Look, they're at a Christmas party or holiday party, but I mean, back then it was more explicitly a Christmas party. Yes. Um, it, like you said, the decorations are everywhere. I would argue the music. Yes, they use Christmas music in it uh, during key scenes. I also, I, I get, if you're watching clips online, you get a little hint of like jingle bells as part of the audio track here and there um, uh-huh. in certain scenes. So it's like, it's very much the aesthetic of the entire film. And then, like you said, there are key scenes where it's like, ho, 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 now I have your, <laughs> I have your yeah. detonators. And you're like, dude's, dude's essentially doing a riff on Santa Claus half this freaking movie. <laughs> what's, the, what's written on the guy's, uh, the sign on the guy's chest that he kills? That's what it is. like, ho, ho, ho. I ha- isn't it something like, I have your detonators or whatever it is? Yeah, something like that. Boy, we're terrible people. We don't know. The diehard crowd is going to come after us here. <laughs> oh, no, no. Here it is. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> okay. By the you. way, you can buy that sweatshirt. <laughs> I didn't realize that. They, can you? Yeah, they sell that gray sweatshirt. with It looks like blood written. <laughs> now I have a machine gun. <laughs> that is being added to my list. <laughs> Put into shopping cart right now. Let me give you another example of a movie that checks some of those similar boxes. And again, I think... And look, if you're listening to this, we're just having fun. We know you've, you've read these lists on Vox. Okay? Don't, <laughs> save me your vicious tweet. Um, I haven't left the house since March. Give me a break. I had to talk to another human being. Uh, Gremlins, we take for granted how much of the center of the story revolves around Christmas. Gizmo is a Christmas gift. He is, yes. <laughs> like his dad goes shopping, stumbles into that shop, buys Gizmo specifically for Christmas, and then the... I would argue the emotional core of that movie it, and, and, and lampooned in the sequel is Phoebe Cates' speech about her t- the saddest oh. Christmas story ever. <laughs> that is one of the all-timer speeches in any movie. It is fantastic. And you're right. That actually is all about Christmas as well. See, the funny part is both those sequels, Die Hard 2, Gremlins 2, I don't think Gremlins 2 takes place around the holidays, or does it? Not to my knowledge. I, keep, I don't think it's ever referenced. I keep picturing, so. like, I'm a, is there, like, a Gremlins store, uh, or a, is there a Gremlins floor with, like, a Christmas Gremlin somewhere snuck in there? I, can't, I Nothing's popping to my There's the vegetable <laughs> Gremlin, but I don't, I think that's about it. The, the Die Hard 2, though, is an interesting case, because the settings of Die Hard 2 the snow and that kind of stuff make it more explicitly Christmas-like. 
But I would argue it is so much less of a Christmas movie than the original. Oh, so much less. I mean, it it has little things throughout, like, you know, he kills the guy with the icicle and that sort of things. But, yeah, it, it's not nearly as explicitly Christmas as the first one is. Or as clever, I guess I should say, about how it uses its setting. Right. And I, I, I did make a little list here of like other genre movies that I think are overshadowed. They're again, they're inherently Christmas, but they're overshadowed by fitting into another genre. So like Lethal Weapon is a takes place at Christmas. You think of it more as an action movie. Uh yes. Black Christmas horror movie. Bad Santa dark comedy or or you know, kind of gross out comedy, whatever you want to call it. And then, of course, the holiday classic, uh, Mel Gibson's Fat Man. (laughs) (laughs) Please tell me you haven't seen Fat Man. No, of course not. Okay, (laughs) is it even out? I haven't seen it either. Yeah, it's out. Like you can rent it now. Let me. You're a horror movie uh, expert. Let me ask you: What is? Are there any horror movies that work as Christmas movies? Black Christmas, the original. Yeah, and that's like the the dude breaks into the sorority house, right? Yes, and he's stalking them and killing them. That is a horror film set at Christmas that works. Uh, can you think of any others? I mean, like if you count stuff like Krampus, but I, yeah, I, but like I mean that's very Christmassy. But I just don't know that I've I haven't seen it, so like I I don't I can't really say whether it works or not. Silent Night, Deadly Night, to me, goes down as one of the all-time, and look, this is a topic for another day, but it goes down as one of the all-time scariest scariest walk-by the VHS tape in the store as a kid selections, where just that Santa arm out of the chimney clutching a bloody axe, (laughs) and being eight and being like, well, I mean, I don't even have to ask what that's about. I just don't want it. I don't want to know anymore. Is that real Santa? Is it a fake Santa? What's going on? Oh, no. I always felt the same way. I was always like, nope, don't want no part of that. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Let me let me shift to another genre that I, I have three total, but this is the second one I wanted to talk about. Movies where... Christmas is very clearly in the background, but not so much integral to the plot, like a Die Hard or a Christmas. It it lacks like that. Hey, Gizmo was bought during Christmas, or something like that. So okay, the 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 two that instantly popped out, Trading Places, the uh, Dan Aykroyd um, Eddie Murphy movie, and uh-huh. um and Batman Returns. So let's let's start with Trading Places because I now see this on. Any list. I mean, even the other day, I was looking at like the the Fandango like Christmas center where you can rent movies, and I see Trading Places up there, and I'm like, I never thought of it as a Christmas movie. It happens over the holidays between Christmas and New Year's, and there's this yes. there's the one scene at the Christmas party where he's dressed like Santa, he's having a meltdown, but I don't think of it as a Christmas movie beyond that. I do not either. We actually covered that movie for the podcast last year in regards to New Year's because, like you said, it takes place during that entire week. And I had actually never seen it before. That was my first time viewing it. And nothing about it feels Christmassy. 
I mean, yeah, okay, there's one scene set at a Christmas party, and he's dressed as Santa, but he's so disgusting. Like, it's the grossest costume. He hides a fish in it at one point. I mean, there's nothing Christmassy about it. I mean, that movie has, like, a gorilla sexual assault scene. Like, that movie has a lot of problematic (laughs) shit. (laughs) Oh, by the way, I I did want to say, I forgot to say this when we talked about Gremlins. Is Gremlins the most 80s movie ever from like a, in this respect, that we were the first generation where our parents were like, sure, go watch Gremlins. And they never really understood just how horrifying it was. Gremlins. Oh, yeah. This is a this is a conversation I've had numerous times with people. I was a big baby as a child. Like I couldn't handle anything. And I was obsessed with Gremlins even before I saw it because Gizmo was cute and I had all the toys, bed sheets, you name it. And then, like, my mom was like, okay, you can watch the movie, whatever. I don't care. It's Gremlins. It was rated PG. And somehow I was able to make it through Gremlins with no problem, and I watched it like 50 times. But now watching it today as an adult, Yes, it's one of the most horrific movies ever made. I don't know what my mother was thinking. <laughs> it's like latchkey parenting movies. There's a whole category of like, oh, sure, go watch this. And then you don't realize that it's actually a horror movie, but it's rated PG back then, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you, you, of course, know the trivia also that Gremlins was one of the movies that caused the PG-13 rating to be created. Oh, yeah. Parents, parents were so outraged by how horrific that film was. It's like Temple of Doom, like where... Where the you know I'm at the theater and they're ripping hearts out and stuff, and you're like, hey, it's PG. <laughs> Got yeah. my kids here. Yeah, hey, great. Phoebe Cates is telling the worst story I've ever heard about the death of her, about her dad dying. Yeah, like uh, brutal. Um, <laughs> all right, so Batman Returns, another good one. I, there is the scene with that around like the lighting of the Christmas tree, sure, but I would argue that it's. Christmas is only there because they need a winter aesthetic to match the penguin. Like it, it, it's more of a winter movie than a Christmas or a holiday movie. I was going to say I definitely consider Batman Returns a winter movie. You're absolutely right. right. I never associate it specifically with the holiday of Christmas. Rocky Three is like this too. I didn't realize they fight on Christmas Day in the Soviet Union. And I think that's purposeful to be like, well, we don't celebrate anything here. Um, but well, mostly Rocky four. Oh, that's what I mean. Rocky four. That that's what I'm talking Christmas about. Yeah. Because he gets the robot for Christmas. Polly's a sex robot. <laughs> <Not> a sex <laughs> robot. <laughs> yeah, that was a sex robot. <laughs> no, but you're right because that's three going into four because Three is that fight is at Christmas, correct? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you know, so, so, yeah. like, so I misspoke. I was thinking Rocky Four. He fights Ivan Drago on Christmas Day, and you're right. Does he? Is it one year later? Wait, that they do that then? No. Okay, wait. Am I wrong? I'm sorry because that's. I thought the robot was a Christmas gift. I could be completely. I'm pretty wrong sure there. though, but isn't that in part four? <laughs> no, that is four. Yeah, but. He gets the robot at the beginning of the movie. Maybe that was pre-Christmas. I oh, I don't know, man. I, it's been yeah. a, like Rocky Ford to me is vastly overrated in the collective consciousness. And I think uh, it's not something I revisit a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I understand. Um, Let me give you I, another good example, though. Eyes Wide Shut takes place all around Christmas. And, like, the holiday lights and that kind of stuff are all over the film. But it has nothing to do with Christmas. <laughs> well, they do the, the pivotal scene at the end. They do go Christmas shopping for their child. But and it again, has the but famous a... last line. But no, it's not a Christmas movie whatsoever. That's stupid. The any other things that you can think about that were like overtly set at Christmas throughout, but just not integral to the story. All of the films, or nearly all of the films of Shane Black, are set at Christmas, but usually Christmas doesn't play a pivotal part in them. Give me a couple names. I'm not connecting who he is. You mentioned Lethal Weapon. Oh, yeah. Uh, More recently, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. and Al Kilmer. Um, Iron Man 3, he did. Uh, The Nice Guys. All of those are set at Christmas, but they don't have like Christmas playing a pivotal role in it. If I'm not mistaken, isn't Predator set at Christmas? Like, all of that is taking place during the Christmas season. Like, they actually say that in the movie, but you never see anything Christmassy about it. Predator as a Christmas movie is a pretty big <laughs> flex. I just, it's one of, it, it's, as a writer, it's a trademark of his that he just, like, sets his films during that time period, <laughs> that, that time of the year. Uh, like the last Boy Scout is another one. I was just gonna Bruce say, Willis. did he do Last Boy Scout? Last he Boy did, Scout yeah. is like one of those classic '90s action movies that I I think is bad, but gets overrated the further away we get from it. Um, oh, people now claim that's one of the greatest action films ever made, and it's like, no, it's not. It's the Last Boy Scout. That's a pure lie. <laughs> All right, the th- the third and final category I was gonna throw out there was just. Movies that have an epic Christmas moment, but really, that's it. Like, L.A. Confidential, to me, has that scene where um, Russell Crowe beats the dude up with, like, <laughs> the Christmas decorations. But I can't, oh, think yeah. of any, I can't think of anything else Christmas in it. Oh, not at all. Like, I had actually forgotten about that until you mentioned it. That is a fantastic scene, but I can't remember yet anything else Christmassy about L.A. Confidential. Or Holiday Inn is like a famous movie for debuting White Christmas, but it goes through all the rest of the holidays. It just kind of crescendos to Christmas. Um, yes. And Holiday Inn, look, my mom made me watch White Christmas pretty much every year. Um, we would also boot up Holiday Inn. Uh, some of the worst <laughs> blackface you've ever seen. Absolutely, some of the worst, and it's shocking. You're not expecting it. You're just going along, having a good time, and then blackface. Ah, uh, it's so brutal. Um, all right. So the last one I was going to throw you this: the strangest case is Sound of Music, which is a movie that I don't think has any Christmas stuff in it, or maybe just very little Christmas stuff in it. But I guess used to play every year around Christmas on free TV when that was a big deal. So there's an entire generation that associates it. I was reading about with Christmas, even though it's not a Christmas movie. (laughs) Really? Yeah. It's weird. Oh, That's fascinating. I know. I know. Like I can remember it playing. um, But I I think as 
cable rose up, you just got m- so many more Christmas movies playing all over. But it, it seemed like it was like a movie of the week type of thing that was a, a holiday staple. All right, Steve, so let's zero in as we close out on this robust discussion. Let's, <laughs> let's zero in on where we think the tipping point movie is for in that perfect middle zone between being a Christmas movie and not. Did you have any in mind that you thought were, and maybe we talked about them already, but th- that maybe fit that category? Um, I think like the actual tipping point, as much as I hate to say this, because I actually was going through and researching this last night and trying to come up with an answer. And as much as I hate to say it, it is Die Hard because yeah. of all the reasons we mentioned. And I feel like that truly is the reason why it keeps getting brought up and why the argument's so fepperant when it comes to that film. I got one more I'm going to throw at you. Okay. Because we've talked extensively about Die Hard. I, I think you could make... Yeah, it, it, it's a pretty perfect pick for that because you could make a case either way and it's really hard to argue no. Although I would argue that it's harder to say it's definitively not a Christmas movie. But I think if you want to say historically it's okay, because it templatized a type of movie as an action movie that would later become it's die hard on a bus. It's die hard on a boat. It's die hard on a, uh, you know, on a taller building in China. Like it's like every <laughs> shout out to the rock. But when, when it, when you make a movie that's so, sets the agenda for what action movies are considered to be, I could see how someone would say it's first and foremost an action movie. And then if you want to say that, you know, that it's a Christmas movie, that's more of a, a supporting point than, than, or, 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 or whatnot. I don't know. No, I get exactly what you're saying because I mean, at the end of the day, Die Hard is an action film. I don't call it a Christmas film. Same thing with Gremlin. Gremlins is not a Christmas film. It's a, I don't even know what to call Gremlins. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare for children. Um, Okay, so here's my my nominee, because I was also uh, researching this too. It's a movie that is not overtly a Christmas movie, but has a very memorable Christmas moment. It has Christmassy themes throughout but in a non-traditional way and it's based on a more overt christmas movie that the christmas elements got downplayed when it was remade can you guess what i'm talking about oh and it fits into another genre first before you think christmas i I was racking my brain no what is it you've got mail oh okay it's a, I just here's the funny thing. I just rewatched this movie like a month ago for no reason. I just wanted to watch it. Quarantine is killing me. I was like, gonna say there's plenty of reasons. Sadness, <laughs> like suppressing troubling thoughts and instincts. Okay, so it's based on the shop around the corner, which I believe is a much more Christmassy movie. Yes. By nature. Overriding theme is that commercialism destroys but hey, you could find happiness with it. <laughs> like, she loses her business to the conglomerate. And the lesson of that movie is, hey, just then just marry into the capitalist villain <laughs> that ruined your life and embrace it, right? 
Also, what I love about that is commercialism, you know, cor- corporate America is killing small businesses. She goes to Starbucks every day. Every day. And it's this these cutesy scenes in the movie where she's trying to avoid Tom Hanks at Starbucks and they scream out her name and stuff. Uh, this woman should be supporting small s- small business-owned coffee shops that would be all over New York. It's disgusting. Well, back then, you know, Starbucks wasn't what it was, but I still I agree with you 100%. Also, the, 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 there's the one scene where she's decorating the Christmas tree to music and writing a letter about Christmas or whatever. But it the, the movie is expansive and takes place over a longer period of time. So that would be mine. It'd be like it'd be hard to argue it is a Christmas movie, but there's enough there where you'd be like, well, sure, it's a Christmas movie. It's based on another Christmas movie, and you could be like, okay, I can win that argument. So I I do think of it as a a potential tipping point for this. There is, I don't know if you have the same feeling I do about some of these movies or you have memories of this sort of thing, but growing up, I can remember like when certain movies were released in theaters and like going as a family to watch them around the holidays. And you've got, you've got males, a specific example of one that I know came out right around Christmas. I remember my family went and watched it like a couple days before Christmas. And for that reason, I associate these movies with the holiday because they do contain like these scenes. Like you said, you've got mail. The first third of it takes place around Christmas. Right. And, and because of their release date as well. And when I saw them, I have like Christmassy feelings about them, even though that's not necessarily true. Well, that's why like a Batman returns came out in the summer, right? It did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it didn't feel like a Christmas movie. Um, the other one that comes to mind that, that I thought might be a good tipping point was Edward Scissorhands. Yes, that actually did come out around Christmas as well. And the 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 famous the, there are two things you would say you remember from Edward Scissorhands. You would remember the haircuts, and you'd remember the ice sculptures, and that it kind of made the snow effect. And like the, the end imagery takes place around the holidays, and it's all, um, you know, her dancing in the snow is like the memorable moment from it. But I don't. It still feels like a a secondary thing within a much weirder movie than just like, oh, that's a Christmas movie. Yeah, because you're also talking about, you know, it's funny you mentioned both You've Got Mail and Edward Scissorhands. The films take place over the course of kind of like such a longer period. I mean, Edward Scissorhands, not as long as You've Got Mail, but it's like Christmas plays such a small role within them because the stories kind of take such a, a longer time period for the stories to unfold. Yeah. Well, look, man, this is getting me in the holiday spirit tonight. I'm going to make some eggnog, kick my feet up, and rewatch the uh, um, orgy murder scene from Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> it just makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. We got to talk about Eyes Wide Shut sometime. What a strange <laughs> movie. I, I'm a I'm a Stanley Kubrick truther in that respect. Like, I don't believe in the moon landing conspiracy, I do believe he made that movie just to see if he could break up the most famous couple uh, for his own amusement. And it worked. I know. I just, <laughs> it's really I mean, sad. I, I, I'm sad he didn't get to see like the fruit of his labor. I mean, that makes me sad. Poor man died before he saw them implode. But <laughs> I also don't like that movie. <laughs> I, 
That's one I hated the first time I saw it. Give it another chance. I, I urge everybody out there, it's better on a second it, watch. It's in the genre of movies that are more interesting to talk about than actually watch to me. It's like, oh, I, w- I could watch a 30-minute video about it, but if you put it on, I'd be like, <laughs> you want to watch Gremlins 2 again? <laughs> oh, I- I'm not going to argue. Gremlins 2 is a better movie than Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> no question. <laughs> All right. Well, Steve Warner, thank you for, for joining Just Not Sports here around the holidays. We'll give a shout out to Ben Utech, our uh, guest for today. Steve, you, uh, you got, any, um, you got any, uh, any, any shout outs to give for the holiday season? Uh, our podcast, Summer Blockbusters, coming back officially starting January 1st. Nice. So what check are you that. You know, tease us out, with what, what your first title is? Uh, we decided to look at like the quote unquote summer films of 2020 because it was such a weird year. Oh yeah. So uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet is our first film that we're kicking off with. Hey, hold on. Can you re can you reset that? I'm going to just boot up some music where I can't hear you. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's the, that's the argument about Tenet now, right? Is that the sound design is so bad. You can't hear the exposition you need to hear to follow a Christopher Nolan movie. Oh, no, that's absolutely true. I had to turn the subtitles on because I could not understand any of it. <laughs> the only movie like that was um, the bar scenes and the club scenes in Social Network, where I have a really hard time hearing on any any mix that... Uh, I've just never heard those scenes in their full. It's very frustrating. <laughs> They're... Uh... I've shown the social network in my film class before that I teach. And like that opening scene, it is really hard to hear what everybody's saying. And my students just always like look back at me and are like, Mr. Warner, they're not even speaking English. <laughs> I'm like, they are. They're just speaking very quickly. They're just speaking Sorkin. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, and, and with that, we will, we will close out. Happy holidays, Steve. Uh, uh, hope it's a good one. Looking forward to the podcast returning and in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, rapper extraordinaire, booty rappers. Give us a stay booty, Steve. Close us out. Stay booty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>